you want to open to a place, you can go to Revelation 5. As you're turning there, we're briefly going to cover some of Revelation 5 today. But I want to emphasize, it is Palm Sunday, today at least, and if someone else is listening to this later, today is Palm Sunday. But I think it's really pertinent, the timing of when we're, what we're reading in Revelation and also what we're seeing on the timetable of Passover coming up and Resurrection Sunday and all those things. I want to talk a little bit about Palm Sunday because... One, it's just awesome, and it does play into this. But think about this. So what is Palm Sunday, if you don't know what it is? Palm Sunday is when Jesus comes. He's been ministering, and he, and he says, Okay, it's time. We're going to go to Jerusalem. And really, what's funny is, when you read it, we're going to go to Jerusalem, and he even tells his disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer many things, I'm going to die in them, but three days later, I'm going to raise from the grave. And they even went, oh my gosh, you're speaking to us plainly, this is amazing. But they, it still didn't connect to him, right? And he tells it, so that's what's going to happen, I'm going to die, three days later I'm going to come back. On day two, they all gave up, but it's okay. But what's amazing is, so he says, alright, I'm going... We're going to have Passover in Jerusalem. And there he comes, and he tells his disciples, all right, go in, get a donkey, get a donkey or a colt that has been unridden its whole life. My child, you are loud. <laughs> My child, is saying, what are you doing? She's talking. It's okay. She's used to Dad doing it. Anyways, they get... <laughs> they get this, un, this, this donkey, and usually kings would come riding in on horses, but don, a donkey is the sign of peace. And Jesus comes riding in on this donkey. And it's so amazing because everybody was expecting Jesus to restore Israel to its kingly state, to free them from Rome. And they said, he's going to come free us from Rome and he's going to rule like David because it's been prophesied that someone out of the root of David's going to come up and it's going, to, it's going to set us free and all these things. And they were expecting a governmental change. And so when they come riding in, and this is what's amazing, when they, he comes riding in, they're throwing their garments at his feet so that, that he can ride across it and they're waving palm branches. And palm branches is a sign of freedom. It's a political statement. It's like... If we all lined the streets and had don't tread on me flags, as, you know, Texans, yeah, you know, and we're saying, here's my freedom. And for them, they're Roman ruled. And right there, they're saying, here's my political statement of don't tread on me, right? This is my victory flag. This is my freedom. This is a thing. And, and the, you know, the Pharisees and Sadducees are standing there going, dude, stop these people because you're going to get us in trouble because this is basically saying we want to start a revolution, right? We want to start a revolution. We want to change everything. And the Pharisees are like, stop. And Jesus is going, dude, if you try to stop them, the rocks would cry out. But this is what's amazing. We read later on, I think it's in Revelation 6, that before the throne, we are waving palm branches, of our victory 
You see, when Jesus came walking in, or riding in, to Jerusalem, they're waving their palm branches for all the wrong reasons. Because they're, they're expecting this. But Jesus doesn't stop them, because he goes, their expression is that I'm going to bring freedom, and I'm going to set a new government up, and I'm going to change the world. And you know what? They don't realize it, but I'm going to do it, just not the way they think. So I'll let them do it, because it's what I deserve. Like, not in a selfish way, but he really was worthy of that worship, right? And so he goes, they don't realize I'm going to do it differently, but yes, everything you're saying, I'm going to create. I'm going to create a new Jerusalem. I'm going to create, I'm going to rebuild this place, and I am going to rule as David did. And yet, in heaven, or in the throne room, we now get to see Jesus come in riding on a white horse, coming for his bride. You see, he came humbly, peacefully, to set us free, but then he is coming mighty and victorious on his white horse to conquer his bride. And we will wave our palm branches in victory as he conquers us. So it is a prophetic an expression of him. And what's amazing is we see that he comes in and, and, and this week uh, we see Jesus, all the things, we could spend so much time on it, but we see Jesus standing in the garden and he deals with his, the motives of man. He deals with the heart. He goes, not my will, God, but yours be done. And, and this week, I think that is, it's pushing us in that same direction. So, we'll kind of come back to that. But I want us to read Revelation 5. So we've been going through, and we've read, well, up to 5. But we've seen Jesus in the candlestick realm. And we've seen Jesus now in the throne room. And what's interesting is this. In chapter 4, we see Jesus glorified. We see him... Here's a better way of saying it. Chapter 4 speaks of the divinity of Jesus. But now in chapter 5, we see a switch, and it's showing the humanity of Jesus. And that is an important thing for us, because sometimes... We can speak so much about the divinity of Jesus that we forget to talk about the humanity of Jesus. Because it says that he was fully God, yet he stepped down and became fully man. And so he was fully God and fully man. He was a 200% human being. <laughs> right? He, he is man. And so it's showing, it's what is Revelation, the unveiling of Jesus. And it is unveiling Jesus, and so we get to see him in his divinity. We get to see him in this glorious throne room place. But then five, it's going to go, now let me show you the humanity, the, hu the, the humbleness, the, the weakness of Jesus when he stepped down to be a man. And actually, all of the descriptions of the one on the throne, there is no form given. It says, the one on the 
throne had a form like crystal and was shining like light. And it actually never gives a direct picture of the one on the throne. It just There's not actually a form to it. It's the one that resides on the throne. But then in five, we see the lamb. We see this lamb. And it's actually a form of the humanity of Jesus. And so in five, we see the unopened scroll. Now this scroll, many believe and I would agree with it because it, may, it, it seems to correlate well, was the same scroll that we see in Daniel 12. You see, in Daniel 12, God tells Daniel, seal this scroll because there, there needs to be a time and a time and a half before this can be released. And the scroll is sealed. And now, John is in the same throne room experience that Daniel had, and there is the unopened scroll that has been sealed, and no one is worthy to open. And truthfully, most of tonight, or just about all of tonight, is going to be spent on figuring out what is the scroll. Uh, There's a lot of things I could talk about, but... Where we're at right now, I want to just focus on the scroll. So I'm going to read chapter 5 straight through until 6. I'm not going to stop and talk as hard as it will be, but I'm just going to read it straight through. I want you to listen because it's kind of all one thought. So beginning in chapter one, uh, verse 1. And I saw that the one seated on the throne was holding in his right hand an unopened scroll with writing on the inside and the outside. And it was sealed with seven seals. Then I saw an incredibly powerful angel proclaiming with a great loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seven seals? But no person could be found living or dead in all of creation. No one was worthy to open the scroll and read its contents. So I broke down weeping with intense sorrow. Because there was found no one worthy to open the scroll and read its contents. Then one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Look, the mighty lion of Judah's tribe, the root of David, he has conquered. He is the worthy one who can open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a young lamb standing in the middle of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the 24 elders. He appeared to have been slaughtered, but now was alive. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out to the ends of the earth. I saw the young lamb approach the throne and receive the scroll from the right hand of the one who sat there. And when the 24 elders... uh, Where was I? Oh, And when the 24 elders and the four living creatures saw the lamb, had taken the scroll, they, fa- they fell face down at the feet of the lamb and worshipped him. Each of them had a harp and a golden bowls brimming full of sweet, fragrant incense, which are the prayers of God's holy lovers. And they were all singing this new song of praise to the lamb. Because you were slaughtered for us, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. 
Your blood was the price paid to redeem us. You purchased us to bring us to God out of every tribe, language, people group, and nation. You have chosen us to serve our God and formed us into a kingdom of priests who reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voices of myriads of angels encircling the throne, as well as voices of living creatures and the elders, myriads and myriads. As I watched, all of them were singing with thunderous voices. Worthy is the Christ, the Lamb, who was slaughtered to receive great power and might, wealth and wisdom, honor, glory, and praise. Then every living being joined the angelic choir, every creature in heaven and on earth, under the earth, in the sea, and everything in them, were worshiping with one voice, saying, Praise, honor, glory, and dominion to be God enthroned, and to the Christ Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures responded, Amen. And the 24 elders threw themselves face down to the ground and worshipped. Yes. Okay. So, chapter 5 is this picture of this scroll that was sealed with seven seals. And all of it is about the worthiness of the one to open it. And so, the question is, what is the seal? There's actually many different ideas on what the seal is. And it might be interesting to think about it. Problem is this. If you read on to 6, 7, and 8, and on these, and read on, it can be kind of confusing of like all the things that come from it. When the seals are broken and all the different perspectives, and you go, wow, what is this? Why is this? But the most important thing is this. You had to be worthy to, unop- to open it. Right? You had to be worthy to open the scroll. See, a lot of people go, oh, well, the scroll and the seals, you know, they're, it's the great, it's the tribulation, it's the, it's the pestilence, it's the things. And really, that's a lot of where the fear comes from Revelation, right? A lot of the fear from Revelation comes from, oh, man, all this weird stuff that's happening on the earth and all these things. But... <laughs> You're very distracting, ma'am. Nobody <laughs> cares anything. Oh, I didn't tell you to leave. I was just telling her that she's very distracting. Cause nobody cares about anything. They just see the baby, and that's all that matters. That's all that matters is the baby. That's all that matters. Everybody knows it's true. But so we, we start looking at the scroll, and we see all the things that happen, and I go, just, let's just wait on that. Pause on that. Look at the most important thing here. You have to be worthy. Now, I propose to you that you don't have to be, well, let's say, it doesn't, it didn't cost a lot to destroy the world and kill lots of people in it. Think about this. 
God already destroyed the world with the flood, and Jesus didn't have to die for that to happen. He just did it. He didn't have to, Jesus didn't have to sacrifice himself so that he could blow up Sodom and Gomorrah. He didn't, he, he, he killed Ananias and Sapphira. Bam! Tough luck, right? So, <laughs> but think about it. God does it because he's God, right? He's God. But people go, oh, well, this scroll is all of the pestilence and all of the hatred of God against this sinful world being poured out on it. Why would Jesus have to die for that? It doesn't make sense. And I, I, I hate that I have to say this, but we kind of need to hear it, and maybe we need to say it to get it. Why did Jesus die? Right? It says that Jesus died for us because the penalty for our sin had to be paid for. There had to be atonement made for our sins because we were stuck in bondage to this. We were already judged and doomed, and Jesus' death and resurrection set us free from that. That's why he died. So the whole picture that we just read about, it said that the one who was worthy, the lamb that was slain, he is worthy to open this scroll because that's what he paid the price for. I, don't, I propose that it's not all these terrible things happening to the world, but the scroll is us. It said it right there. That he died and that he was worthy and he paid the price. The blood was the price paid to redeem us. And they're worshiping because, oh my gosh, we can finally open the scroll. What if? You don't have to believe me. But what if? This is actually his bride. You see, he goes... My bride is chained up and doomed. And so I'm going to ride in on a donkey and I'm going to save her. I'm going to pay the price. I'm going to redeem her. I'm going to forgive her and I'm going to empower her. And so what if this is a picture in heaven of what happened and is currently happening in us? And that he goes, okay. Because what does the word say? We are justified and glorified. Go look it up. They're both in there. We are justified with him and glorified with him. So he justifies us and wipes away our sin by his death. But then he says, I want her to look just like me. I'm, she's going to be a pure and holy and victorious bride. And that's what I'm going to marry. So I am actually going to glorify her, empower her, and crown her. And I am going to break forth in her the seven seals that are her destiny. It's an interesting thought. It is. A lot of people have called it the, the title to the universe, which is a pretty good idea, but I'd say tweak it just a little bit. Because it seems pretty obvious that it's talking about his death was the payment so that he, and he was worthy to open this seal. 
And then when we even look at what's happening with these seals from the perspective of this is him actually freeing us and, and revealing himself in us. That's what he died to pay for. Because here's the deal. The world's already been judged. The, world's, or I mean, the world is already condemned by their sin. And so why does he have to throw all these weird uh, pestilences and, and disasters on the earth and all these things? What if all of those images, because we see, and when we get into those, we won't do it tonight because there's not enough time, but when we get into actually breaking open the seals, we have the, the four horsemen that come out of that, and those are all pictures and images and, and glorious displays of who Jesus is. But then it switches. We see things happening in heaven, and then it switches to earth, which is always a symbol of man and where the king, uh, the, the rain, our reigning place. And it switches to the earth. And all the verses about the, the, the sky being uh, brought back in a, like a scroll and a new heavens being opened up, that happened because it says that when Jesus was baptized, the heavens were rent. It was all of the old covenant and the old realities had to be rolled up because a new kingdom, a new reality, a new destiny for his people was coming forth on the world. And all the plagues and all of the pestilences are actually judgments against the things that keep us from him and against our flesh. That the, the grass, which is the flesh of man, is burnt away and nothing's left. And that he's actually coming to kill your flesh because he wants nothing left but Jesus. I'm spiraling out of control. I said I wasn't going to go this far. But <laughs> it's just so good. But you see, what if it is you? What if it is the bride that he has? You know, think about this. The word says, do not be unequally yoked. When it's talking about people who are getting married, yes? Yes. It says, do not be unequally yoked. Well, Jesus is coming to marry us. So don't you think Jesus should follow his own book? To not be unequally yoked? Nobody's gotten it yet. Let it settle in. Let it, let it settle in. The word says, don't be unequally yoked. When you get married with somebody, don't be unequally yoked because you won't be able to work together. If we are the bride of Christ and he's coming to marry us, don't you think he ought to be equally yoked with his bride? And that means where we are equal with him? I didn't make it up. That's, that's the Bible. Don't shoot me, okay? <laughs> I'm just saying. That's what it says. And so if we're his bride, he's saying, I, okay, I'm going to justify her to set her free and I'm going to glorify her to equally yoke her with me. That's why you've got to look like Jesus. You've got to walk like Jesus. You've got to think like Jesus, talk like Jesus, and do the works of Jesus. Because he's saying, I'm going to equally yoke you with me so that you look just like me. It's not form and us working to make it happen. It's us basking in who he is and we become which we behold. 
And that is why he said, I'm going to rip the veil from the temple so that you can come boldly into my throne and see me face to face so that you can become me. I'm going to fully free you to become me. So that is what we are leading up to. Palm Sunday is the triumphant entry of Jesus but he's coming on a triumphant white horse to come for his bride. And I'm not talking about in this situation. There are different situations. But in this particular situation, I'm not talking about his literal coming. I'm talking about his spirit coming for you because he says, no, I'm not. I am not content with let you just be a status quo. I want you to be the perfect bride of mine. So I'm coming against all the things that keep you from me. I'm coming for all the sin that you think you want to keep inside you. I'm, gonna, I'm coming for your flesh that rises up against me and doesn't let me rule. I'm coming against all of your heart issues. I'm coming against all your motives. I'm coming against all these things. And I am going to send earthquakes and I'm going to send pestilence and I'm going to send these things so that I burn away everything but you. So the only thing is left is my bride, pure and holy because that's what I want to marry. And that's what he did. Passover is the fulfillment of atoning for our sin. He fulfills that. And then he rose from the grave and he fulfilled that there is no sin, there is no death, there is nothing that can bind us anymore because he overcame it. He took the keys from death. He took the keys away so that he could set us totally free. All of this, this is the unveiling of Jesus. Not the unveiling of the end of how God hates the world, but it is the unveiling of Jesus, and we are now inside of him, and we are part of the kingdom. And he is saying, I'm breaking these seals off of you so that all of these things, so that you would become the fullness. That is what Easter is about. Better said, Resurrection Sunday. That's what it's all about. It's, it, it matters nothing if he didn't raise from the grave. But now that he did, it means everything. Because nothing can stop you in him. That is what the scroll is talking about. So I, I challenge you, think about this. The word says that we will do greater works than him. Greater works than Jesus. It says we'll do greater works than Jesus. We'll heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out demons, freely receive, freely we shall give. And we'll do greater than that. And so I, I say to you this, what we believe and what we think and what we function in don't work eat too good. If, okay, if our goal is to just get saved enough so that we don't go to hell and we get to go to heaven, cool, great, it's working. But if the goal is actually to bring heaven to earth, to do the works of Jesus, and to live the life that he destined for his bride, then we're, then we're not there. We, it ain't working. Our theology and our eschatology is robbing us right 
Because if my eschatology, my belief in the end times, is, well, you know, God's just so mad at the world, he just wants to blow everybody off the face of the earth, makes him so mad, but he'll hold off for a little while. And then he's just going to blow his top and, boom, kill a billion people and half of the world and all this great stuff, right? But if in reality God is love, and that God is passionately pursuing and says, I want no man to perish... He's saying, I'm going to do everything that I can. I'm going to empower my bride to be me to this world. And so they're going to do greater works than me. They're going to multiply my works. They are going to be the incarnation of me to people. They are going to be the hands and feet. They are going to be the face. They are going to be these things. Then if your eschatology is just saying, well, if you can just survive long enough, then you just get to go to heaven. And if your theology just says, well, if you can just make it, you'll be all right. You'll just survival mindset. But God doesn't want us to survive. He wants us to thrive. He wants us to overcome, and he wants to be conquerors. Every single reward was given for overcomers. And so he is saying, I want you to become my bride, that you look just like me, and that you fulfill the destiny that I have for you, that you would do the greater works, and that you would do even the works like me, and that I gave you the format while I was there on earth for that short little bit of amount of time. And that you would be free in me. And that you would make me so anxious that I'd tell my dad, finally, I have to go marry this bride. She's perfect. Because she lives as an overcomer. And within, we will wave our palm branches before the throne in victory that we lived the overcomer's life. That is what this storm is. That is why it's so important for the time that we're in right now. You see, just like Dawson was talking about, how the early church didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have any of these things. But you know what they did have? You know what was the most cherished book that the early church had? It was the Song of Songs. If you go back and you look at the traditions that's passed down from the apostles the most valued book was the Song of Songs. Because to them, it was not erotica between Solomon and some of one of his marriages or whatever, but it was the heart of God towards his bride and his bride relating to him. Why? That's why it's in the middle of the Bible, because it's in the middle of you. It is called Song of Songs. It is the song of all songs. Go back, reread it. Put you as the bride, you're the Shulamite, and put Jesus as the king. That's what the early church believed. It wasn't until in the 1800s or 1700s that they actually came up with the idea that, oh, well, this is just erotica, you know, this is whatever. Which, if it is erotica... He's doing pretty bad at it. Your belly is like a great bundle of oats. Like, what the heck? That's not gonna, that ain't working, buddy. Anyways, but in reality, Song of Songs, that is what the early church had. That is what they loved because they read it and it was like Jesus speaking right to them. And if you can get a hold of of what this book is saying and with the picture it paints, it'll change your whole perspective and your whole world. 
So I that's all I'm really gonna say. We'll get into all the seals. There's so much. It's crazy, but it's really cool. The four horsemen and all the different seals and all the different things, and then you get into the 144,000, which is not a literal number, but it's a number that's actually painting a picture. It's a symbolic number. And all these things. So, I want to challenge you this week. Think about these things. Meditate on these things. What about that scroll? What about that seven-sealed scroll? What about what God is calling us to? What about what is it that he paid for? Why would Jesus pay the highest price possible to get the least return? I believe he paid the highest price because he's going to get a big return on it. Because he's going to get a glorious, mighty bride. And he is going to set her free, release her into her destiny. And this week, this is in between. Jesus, Jesus is entering into Jerusalem and Passover and his death and his resurrection. And we'll come back next week and celebrate his resurrection. But don't just go and just be like, wow, that's great, and leave. I mean, I know it comes around once a year, and I know we hear it so much, but it's so important for us to rest in, to meditate on, and to let God soak in what happened there at Passover, what happened there in Gethsemane, what happened there on the cross, what happened there in the grave, and what happened afterwards. You see, I've recently, you know, we had the time that we've been praying for our area. We set April, or, uh, we set March aside that we're going to pray for our community for, to see God pour out our spirit. And it, it was awesome and is amazing. And we really believed to saw some powerful breakthrough and we're going to live in that. But you know what also comes out of that is that when you go to dig up things and to fight for the kingdom is that it's going to come back on you. And God's going to say, okay, if you really want this, then I'm going to really check you out. And we, and we sure had that. I don't know if anybody else did, but I know I sure had that. We had, a, had to do a lot of repenting. And that is, in which repentance is so good. Repentance is so good. Always be ready to repent. But, and, and it, it, it's not just sin. It's not just like, oh, you're living in sin, you're just a terrible person. But it's, it comes down to even, where are your motives? Where is your heart? What is your purpose? Oh, you're going to pray for these things and you're going to ask for this stuff? Oh, yeah? Why are you praying for those things? Yes, you can say the words. Yes, you can want these things. But for what reason do you want these things? For what motives do you want things? Where is your heart? Right? And that's what God is challenging us on is where, was your, where is your heart in her these things? Are you just doing it for the fame? Are you just doing it for the success? Are you, just, are you doing it for me? Are you doing it for people? What is your purposes? Where is your heart in that? And then, and we see Jesus there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he goes, God, I don't really want to do this. Not this way, at least. But not my will, but yours be done. He's saying, whatever my motives are, whatever my purposes is, I want yours and yours alone. And he won that fight for us in the Garden. 
But the question is also for us today. Is where is your heart? Where are your motives? Maybe you do know sin that you're living that you need to take care of. Deal with it. Repent. Move on. God wants to empower you. Because here's the deal. When you go, okay, yes, I want to follow Jesus. Well, he says, okay, if you'll share in my death, you can share in my resurrection. And we go, woohoo! But think, but we have to share in his death. Your, your wrong motives, your wrong sins, your wrong desires, your wrong, all these things, they have to die. He's saying, if you'll die with me, you can raise just like me. You can live in victory. You can be glorified, but you've got to die. And everything in you has got to die. And all of these desires that are not of me, they've got to die. It has to die. You've got to lay it down. If you want to live in great victory and in great resurrection power, there has to be great death of the things that are not of him. And so, I challenge you this week, take some time, meditate on these things, and ask God, God, where is my heart? Where are my motives? What are my intentions? You know, is there any sin that I need to take care of? But even more so, where, like, Am I doing it for the right reasons? Am I doing it for the right heart purposes? Am I, what am I doing it for? I challenge you to search your hearts. Ask God to reveal it. David. There's more in the Bible about David than there is Jesus. David is a great example of manhood. He could go out and chop heads off of people, and then he could go dance before the Lord. But David even said, God, search my heart. If there's anything there that I don't even know about, show it to me. Right? God wants to deal with, deal with us. And so I challenge you this week to take time and to say, God, where am I at with you? So often we can get so busy doing things or going through the motions or whatever. And next thing you know, you're like, where am I? You know? Next thing you know, you're like, man, I don't know where my motives are. Or maybe I'm just going through the motions. Or maybe I need to wake up. Or whatever it is. But I challenge you, take this week and say, God, where, where am I with you? Be serious about it. Man, I, fast. Take a day and fast. And seek him. And repent. Repentance is so good. Repentance is freedom. It's, it's awesome. And then when we come back next week, we're going to have communion as a body. And we're just going to glorify him and we're going to have communion. And so, and side note, almost every great revival has started because people got together and said, we're going to seek God and we're going to ask him to deal with us and whatever he needs and to reveal things to us and take time of repentance. And then, you know what? They came together and had communion services. There's like three or four of them. Some of the greatest revivals that ever began actually began at a communion service because where people repented and people got real with the Lord and they came to communion and he said, all right, I'll give you the blessings of my body and my blood. So I, that, that's what I want you to focus on. That's where I want you to go with this week. Take it, ask the Lord, find what he's saying to you because you are the bride of Christ. You are worth the blood of Jesus. In heaven, all the angels know that you are worth the blood of Jesus. 
that's more than they're even worth. So they recognize how important you are. Hallelujah. Praise God. It is so good, right? God is good. He is so good to us. He has blessed us so much. And I just want to live a life that is pleasing to Him. I don't want to live out of the motions. Look, I encourage people, go, do the works of Jesus, all these things. But I don't want you to be so busy trying to do the actions and not follow in your heart. Find Him in your heart. Find Him in that secret place. And all of those things will come from it. Let me pray with you guys as, I, as we end out. I just want to bless you into your week and that we come back next week expecting His goodness. Lord, thank You so much. I thank You for this wonderful, wonderful people that are here that love You so very much. God, I pray that You'd bless them now. God, (laughs) we are the donkeys that You ride on. Sometimes we may act like donkeys. But Lord... We know that all the glory and all the praise is because of you, Jesus. You are worthy and of the honor and the praise and the glory. We love you, Jesus. So I ask you now that you would go into every single person this week and that you would be intimate with them and that you would speak with them and that you'd commune with them and you'd call them out on things this week and that you would just draw them to a closer relationship with you and that they would become the fullness, that they would fulfill their destinies. God, you have specific destinies for these people that are so great. I pray that you would release people into their destinies and you would release them into what you're calling them into and that you would give them the gift of hunger. When I am hungry, I'll eat anything. And Lord, I pray that you would give us just a ravishing hunger for your presence. And that we would not be satisfied by the lesser things. Lord, bless everyone this week. We thank you.